Um, some, some years ago, well, I, I came across this quote um, uh, by an actress, a Hollywood actress, a uh, lady called Jessica Lange. So some of you might have come across her, but she was, she was being interviewed and, and reflected on her early life, and she used these words. She said, the main thing I sensed back in my childhood was this inescapable yearning that I could never satisfy. Even now, at times, I experience an inescapable loneliness and isolation. It would actually make my heart ache. Um, and, and if, if uh, Jessica Lange is somebody you don't know, just look, look her up on Wikipedia, Google her or something like that. You'll see that she's, she's actually one of the most critically acclaimed uh, uh, female actors in, in Hollywood. She's got a film, a TV uh, career as well that, that, that spanned from the, the 1970s right through to the, the, the present day. Um, uh, she's won fistfuls of um, awards, Oscars and Tonys and Emmys and BAFTAs. And, and all. She's had all of those actually several times over. She's one of the most well-awarded uh, uh, people um, in, in her profession, and of course, you know she's got all the money and the fame and what have you to go along with all that success. And yet, here is a woman with an aching heart that that all of her success, all of her money, all of her fame uh, was just powerless to deal with. Um, and of course, she's not alone, is she? We quoted a few songwriters last Sunday, people like Annie Lennox and Mick Jagger and Bono and and Taylor Swift. Get me. Um, who, who, who expressed similar sentiments in their songs. And actually, people at the, at the upper echelons of business uh, don't seem to have fared any better as well. Here's, here's a, a, a very affluent businessman speaking at an after-dinner uh, thing some little uh, while ago, and he said, I, uh, I'm at the point in my life where I realise there has to be something more. Like many of my friends here, I've learned a lesson I wish I'd known when I'd started out. Having it all just isn't enough. There's a limit to the success worth counting and the toys worth accumulating. Business school never gave me a calculus for assessing the deeper meaning of life. So, so it doesn't seem to matter, does it, um, uh, whether you're someone who has arrived you know, in, in terms of success and respect and fame and money and all that stuff. None of that seems to lead in, in whatever uh, area of life, acting or pop stars or business leaders, none of that seems to, 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 to lead to the satisfaction or the contentment or the happiness uh, that our hearts seem to crave. None of it seems to cure that sense of emptiness that we, that we can feel on, on the inside. And actually, if you've been with us as we've gone a bit through uh, the early chapters of, of John's Gospel over the last few months, you'll know that Jesus would agree with that and um, which is why he's been telling us that no matter who we are we need the living water that he offers to us and, and 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 that is the only thing that really satisfies that truly satisfies so so john's been showing us uh, in his gospel hasn't he that that jesus is god in the flesh come to dwell among us that's chapter one isn't it um, that he's the promised king, he's the Christ, the, the Messiah, who's come to bring in his kingdom. Chapter 2 has been telling us that. Uh, and then in chapters 3 and 4, we, we've been seeing the, 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 the amazing news of who gets in to his kingdom. And, and you know, the message of Christmas is, is that Jesus has come, but, but who has he come for? Well, well we saw in chap, chapter 3, as he talks to Nicodemus, you know, who's a guy who's definitely arrived, hasn't he? Um, that actually entry into God's kingdom is not about 
It's not about success. It's not about rules. It's not about rituals or respect or, or religion. But actually, Jesus says it's about being born again. Chapter 3, verse 3. Or it's about being born of water and the Spirit, verse 5 of chapter 3. But by which Jesus means it's about having our sins washed away. It's about having God's Spirit within us to transform our hearts. That's what we need. And, and this is something that God does in us as we believe in him. In other words, as we place our, our trust in Jesus and, and his work on the cross to, to save us. And, and then, if you were here last week, we saw in the first half of chapter 4, didn't we, Jesus making pretty much the same point to the Samaritan woman, a woman who's definitely not arrived, has she? She's, she's despised, she's immoral, she's got no status whatsoever, but still Jesus offers her what, what he calls the gift of God, or what he then calls living water um, in, in verse 10, or what he calls in verse 14, a spring of water welling up to eternal life, which, which is another way of, of describing God putting in us his spirit. And, and the eternal life that he brings. So, so, so in answer to that question, Jesus has come, but who for? Well, actually, John's been showing us, hasn't he? That we need God to change our hearts and put his spirit within us. And that he does this for anyone and indeed everyone who will simply Believe in him. Place their trust in him. Whether you're a successful, respected, religious pillar of the community uh, who, who seems to have it all, like, like, like uh, Nicodemus in chapter 3, or, or whether you're someone right at the bottom of the social and moral pile, like the Samaritan woman in, in chapter 4, despised, immoral, uh, uneducated, no cultural capital at all, uh, the offer of Jesus is the same to, to both. Because it doesn't depend on whether you've arrived or not. It's not about your ethnicity, your class, your gender, your moral background, your religious background, your good deeds. It's about none of that, but it depends on God giving you the gift of his spirit to transform your heart as you turn away from trusting in yourself to save you and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross instead. That's terrific news, isn't it? This is why Jesus has come. It's because no matter who we are or what we've done, our need is exactly the same. That, that sense of emptiness that we feel in our hearts and that can't be satisfied no matter where we look, what we try, well, that stems from being separated from God by our sin. And Jesus has come, the word has become flesh, so that any kind of person can be restored again to God and, and have his or her uh, sins washed away and, and God's spirit put within them and, and their hearts transformed and and, and, and give an entry into God's kingdom as, as they trust in Jesus. That's why he's come. He's come to die and rise in order to achieve everything that's necessary so that he can offer to meet our deepest need. So, so, so that's what Jesus offers. That's, it's the brilliant news of rescue, isn't it? But what does Jesus want? He's come... But what does he want? What does God seek from us? Well, that's what this passage is all about. Um, I've, I've not divided it up into headings this week because it, it's quite short. I think it's just, I've got one heading. <laughs> and it's a, it's a question for us this morning. What does God want? And, and I, can, I can even tell us the answer right at the beginning. 
God wants worshippers. And you'll notice that that's what this passage is, is, is all about. It's all about this word worship, isn't it? What God wants is worshippers. And, and the word that, that's translated worship here, it, it literally means to pay homage to someone. It, it, it means, actually literally, it means to come towards someone in order to kiss them. And, and, and that comes from the practice of a, of a subject kind of paying homage to his superior by falling down in front of them and kissing their feet or kissing the hem of, of their garment or kissing the ground uh, in, in front of them. It's, it's the word that's used of the Magi, uh, the wise men in, in, in Matthew 2, when, when they said to Herod, we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. They're, they're going to bow down and, and pay homage to him. Um, or it's the word that's used of the disciples in Matthew 28 when Jesus, the risen Jesus, appears to them at the tomb uh, and, and they, they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. So we can kind of get the idea, can't we? This is about total submission. This is about absolute surrender to someone. That's what the word worship here uh, means. So if you remember from last week, Jesus has been offering this woman, hasn't he? Verse 10, look. Uh, living water. And, and to begin with, she seems not to get what he's talking about. Do, do, do you remember that? He's been talking about living water, the living water of his Holy Spirit, which means that she'll never be thirsty again. And she says, verse 15, oh yeah, I'll have some of that. And then I won't need to keep coming to the well to get my water. <laughs> so she's missing the point, isn't she? She thinks he's talking about literal water. But then look, verse 16, something changes. She thinks he's talking, uh, uh, sorry, she begins to realize that Jesus is, is someone special. And, and she realizes this because Jesus shows that he knows all about her. Have a look at verse 16. Jesus says, go call your husband. She replies, I don't have a husband. He replies, I know you don't. You've actually had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. And, and, and this is not Jesus having a go at her about her morality. Okay? He's already, in verse 11, offered her eternal life despite her morality. Now this is Jesus saying to her, I know all about you. Do you see, he's... He's revealing himself to her. He's identifying himself to her so that she knows she's, she's not speaking to some random stranger, but rather she's speaking to somebody, as she, as she puts it herself in, uh, uh, later on in verse 29. She's speaking to someone who told me all I ever did. In other words, she now sees that Jesus, whoever he is, he knows all about her. Now, that should be more evidence, of course, to us by now of the fact that, that actually Jesus is God in the flesh. You know, something that John's been writing this gospel to show us. But as far as she is concerned at that point, she's just assuming this makes Jesus some kind of a prophet. Verse 19, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And, and so it, it's within that context that she then starts to talk to Jesus about worship. Which, which kind of, some people find that odd. Um, you know, why suddenly start talking about worship? Is she, is she trying to sort of change the subject here, divert Jesus away? P people, people do that, don't they? Have you ever had a, like, uh, started a, 
a conversation with people. Maybe you've got on to talking about spiritual things uh, and, and, and people suddenly want to change the subject. You know, maybe it's getting a bit close to home and they say, anyway, you know, what about, what about all this weather we've been having? You know, or, or, uh, or what, about the, what about the footy? Then? What about the match? So, so is, that, is that what she's doing here? Is she trying to sort of change the subject when she says in verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship? Because that was kind of a controversy uh, at the time between the Jews and the Samaritans over where was the proper place to worship God. Uh, the, the Jews believed that the only place where God was to be worshipped was in the temple uh, in Jerusalem. And so three times a year, Jews were supposed to travel from wherever they were living and, and make a pilgrimage to the, the temple in Jerusalem because that was where God dwelled with his people. But the Samaritans didn't do that. They kind of they got a rival temple, if you like, set up on, on Mount Gerizim, this mountain, verse 20. And, and they worshipped God there. So, so the woman is actually asking Jesus, who's right here? Is it the Jews or the Samaritans? Where is the right place to worship God? Where, where is God to be found? But why is she asking him? You know, is it, is it just a kind of a ploy to sort of steer Jesus away from the fact that he's exposed her immoral living? You know, oh, well, let's divert him onto a nice theological debate instead. Uh, is that what she's doing? I, I don't think it is. Um, I, I think her earlier conversation with, with Jesus has has actually awakened genuine spiritual interest in her heart. So I think her, her question reflects her heart. Where do I go to worship God? Where do I go to find him? You, you Jews think I'll find him in the, in the Jerusalem temple. That's why you worship him there. We Samaritans, we go to our temple on Mount Gerizim to, to, to meet with him. But Jesus, you're evidently a prophet. So who's right? Where do I find God in order to worship him. Do you see, I, do you see I, I don't think she's avoiding the issue. I think she's grasped the issue. I, I think her heart's been opened by her conversation with Jesus and, and she's seeking for the truth. She's wanting to know where to go to find God and worship God. And it's not a bad question for us <laughs> to be asking either, for people today. To be asking, is it? Because there are a, a, a bewildering number of places that people go to to try and find the answer to that question. Aren't there? Is it, is it Jerusalem or is it Mecca or is it the Vatican? You know, is it a church or a temple or a mosque? Where will I find him? You know, will I find him in nature like the pagans believe or will I find him in a shrine somewhere? Where do I go to find God? Well, just look at what Jesus says here, because his answer to this question is well, certainly not the answer she's expecting. Have, have a look at verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Do, do, do you see? And, and actually what he's saying there is, is something pretty radical. Because Jesus is saying that the time is, is almost here when, when the whole debate between the Samaritans and the Jews about where the right place to go is in order to worship God, that debate will be completely obsolete. It, it'll be a redundant debate because people won't go to either place if they want to meet with God and worship God. 
Now, he, he does actually address her question of, of who is right. Is it the, the Jews or the Samaritans? Because he says, look in verse uh, 22, uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. In, in other words, the Jews are right in as much as under the old covenant, God did locate his presence with his people in the Jerusalem temple. It wasn't on Mount Gerizim. So, so the Jews are right, not the Samaritans at that point. But actually, it's a pretty obsolete debate now because all of that is going to change. And it's going to change because, verse 23, the hour is coming and is in fact now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. In other words, with the arrival of Jesus, that's what he means by the hour is coming and is now here. He means now that I am here, worship is transformed. And, and that's because in him, in Jesus, God has come to earth. You know, in in Old Testament times, if you, if you wanted to meet with God, you had to go to the Jerusalem temple because that was where God focused his revelation of himself to people. But now, and of course this is the brilliant news of Christmas, now God has come among us in Jesus. And so true worship is not focused on a place anymore, it's focused in a, in a person. You don't come to the temple to meet with God. You come to Jesus to meet God. You, you don't need to go to the temple three times a year and sacrifice a lamb in order to be forgiven. You, you come to Jesus, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And, but through his death on the cross was the once for all sacrifice. That means we're forgiven forever and made right with God forever. Do, do, do you see? Because Jesus has come, the worship of God is not about a place. It's about a person. We don't go to places to meet God. We go to Jesus to meet God. In other words, true worship is no longer dependent upon any particular place. But rather, verse 23, it's dependent on being, as Jesus puts it, in spirit and in truth. So, so why is true worship dependent upon being in spirit and in truth, rather than in being in the right place? Well, verse 24 gives us the answer, because God is spirit. And so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, now that Jesus is here and has forgiven our sin, we've got a relationship with God through his spirit, which means that God is with us by his spirit all the time and, and, and in every place. We don't need to go anywhere to meet with God. Because in Jesus, we now live the whole of our lives in the presence of God. His spirit is within us. And so because God is spirit, meaning he's within us and, and, and everywhere, well, then that's how we need to worship him. In other words, we don't tie him down to a building as, as though we, we worship him just in one place and at one time. He needs to be worshipped everywhere and, and all the time. You see, we need to worship him in spirit because he is spirit. He's within us by his spirit. But also, look, Jesus says, verse 23, he is to be worshipped in truth. In other words, we can't pick and choose how we worship. 
We need to worship in truth. In other words, there is a right way to worship God. And that is through Jesus, who is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus, a bit later in John 14, no one comes to the Father except through me. So, so Jesus is not just one option among many ways to worship God. He's the way, the only way, because he's the truth. But we've, we've seen this already in, in, in John, haven't we, that, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the perfect revelation of God, the one who shows us, reveals to us what God is like. So, so we're not simply to worship a God that we've made up for ourselves. We're to worship the God who is, the, 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 the true and living God who, who made himself known to us in Jesus, the God who's come among us in order to reveal to us the truth about himself and, uh, uh, so that we can worship him as he really is, not as we kind of imagine him to be, do you see? So we can see, can't we, how, how true worshippers, that the kind that Jesus wants, verse kind that God wants, verse 23, are those who worship God in spirit and in truth, which means those who worship God through Jesus. In other words, only people who worship God through Jesus are true worshippers. Because only through Jesus do we receive God's spirit so that we can worship him in spirit. And only through Jesus, the word become flesh, can we know God's truth and so worship him in truth. You see that the, that the true worship of God is impossible without the spirit and without the truth. And therefore true worship is impossible unless we come to God through Jesus. And friends, I, I wonder if you can see the incredible implications of what Jesus says here. Because it means that you won't find God in places. You won't find him in religion. You won't find him in man-made spiritualities. You'll find him in Jesus. If, if you're looking for God this morning, if, if you know, like, like this, this woman here, a, a genuine spiritual interest has been awakened in you recently, and, and you're wanting to to find God. Well, don't miss the, the radical but the liberating teaching of Jesus here, which is that you don't need to head off on some pilgrimage to the Vatican or the Holy Land or Mecca or some Himalayan shrine or even a church building. If you want to find God and worship God, you simply need to come to Jesus. And you know, so many people get that wrong, don't we? You know, we talk about places of worship. You know, and for thousands of years, thousands of years, in just about every part of the world, people have set aside places of worship. You know, a place that they designate as holy, a place that you need to go to if you want to meet with God and worship God. Even in church buildings, we see people behaving as though God lived in the building. You know, people bow and they make the sign of the cross and they go all quiet as though God were somewhere up the front of the building. But friends, Jesus is quite clear here, isn't he? He says that the days of having to go into a building to meet with God ended when Jesus came. The church building is not God's house. It's just a place for Christians to meet in. 
we ought to be careful about how we use our language in relation to that, I, I think. You know, if, if, we, if we talk about coming to church simply in order to worship, you know, as though we're coming here to do something that we haven't been doing for the rest of the week, that's a bit off, isn't it? Because Jesus says that true worshippers will worship in spirit. They'll worship God in every place and at all times through the whole of their lives because he is spirit. And so he's with us and, and within us at all times and in every place. So, you know, as we remember this, this Christmas time, that, that Jesus has come. And as we see what he's come to achieve for us, to, to, have, to have our sins washed away to have his Holy Spirit put within us, to to have our hearts transformed and to be given entry into his kingdom forever. What does God want? Well, he wants worshippers, which doesn't mean that he wants religious people who will give an hour of of their week to kind of dress up and engage in some religious rituals and and then live for themselves the rest of the week. No, he wants true worshippers. And the only true worshippers are those who come to God through Jesus in spirit and in truth, giving their whole selves for their whole lives, wherever they are, in total submission. And it's only Jesus that makes true worshippers. He makes that happen. Did did you notice what the... um, what the Samaritan woman says in, in verse 25. We're, we're, not, we're not kind of sure, I think, how much of what Jesus has been saying she's, she's actually understood. But what she does know is that God's Messiah will make it clear when he arrives. Have a look at verse 25. Uh, the, the woman said to him, I, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And and you see Jesus' response to her in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. So to this this Samaritan woman, you know, in in her society, the, the lowest of the low, Jesus reveals himself and says, I'm the one. I'm the one to give you the living water. I'm the one through whom Jesus seeks worshippers. Do you see, friends, true life, True worship are to be found in Christ and nowhere else. I wonder, I wonder whether you've discovered that yet. Uh, we, we, we mentioned last week, didn't we? And, and actually again this morning as well about that, that kind of endless search for satisfaction that just seems to fail to deliver. And, and we look for it, don't we, in the worship of many things. We worship our careers, our work. We, we worship relationships. We worship money or sex or pleasure or drink or learning or family or health and, and any number of other things as well. But it's for the worship of God that we were made and will never be satisfied while we're worshipping anything else but him. And the true worship of him comes through Jesus. As, as we read his word, the Bible, so that by his spirit we will know his truth. Then we'll be able to worship him as he wants, which is with the whole of ourselves for the whole of our lives in total submission wherever we are.
pray together, shall we? Our gracious and our loving Father, we thank you so much that you offer to us life with you for eternity. As we are born again, washed clean and given your spirit within us and, uh, to, to give us a new heart. Thank you too for, for showing us that what you want from us is true worship, not religion, but our whole selves for our whole lives, wherever we are, lived in total submission to you. Father, please, uh, would you help us this morning to see ever more clearly that it is for the worship of you that we were made and that it's only in the worship of you that true satisfaction can be found. And so please would you help each of us this morning to come through Jesus, through the truth of his word and the power of his spirit to be true worshippers of you who is the true and the living God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.